In brightest day, in blackest night, all other podcasts tremble in fright. Losers cower before the power. Oranges lust and blues you can trust. Indigos feel and white ones heal. Yellow scare and green ones dare. That sapphire love and black hands glove will rock your foundation without hesitation. Chad and Mars face evil's minds. Respect their power for they'll make you see the light. Hi everybody, I'm Chad Bokelman. I'm Mark Marble. And this is the Lantern Cast. Episode 378. That's right. What are we talking about this episode? Silver Age stuff is going to be the major focus. That's right. Uh, we're going to be going over Green Lantern number 23, which is uh, the threat of the tattooed man. Uh, but before we get uh, get to that, uh, some uh, major trailer news came out, right? Yes, as we speak, we are about... A little over 24 hours removed from the from the load being dropped. That is the, the final trailer for Star Wars Episode Nine: The Rise of Skywalker. So it was interesting. The tickets went on sale before the trailer. Maybe they were trying to prevent the mad rush for for everything crashing all at one time. But I just happened to notice that uh, that uh, just when I was on Instagram, I just I didn't really click on the video, but I saw Boyega in. Uh, uh, Oscar Isaac's there talking about tickets are on sale now, so I went and checked my Regal app, and sure enough, they were. So, so I made sure I got I got my tickets for the Thursday night show and and the traditional when I on the Friday afternoon when I take my mom to go see to see it. So I got those. T- so I had the tickets to, tickets ready to go before the trailer even premiered. So yeah, I'm I obviously I haven't got tickets yet because I'll I'll get them for free from from Alamo, but. Um, I I'm I, I'm a little less excited for it and and, and I I gotta say it's 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 not a result of the previous movie it's well sort of tangentially because my brother-in-law hates it so much that the previous movie I I can't like th- there goes like part of my you know group I go see it with so the what, group he's not going to see nine he's not going to see nine I'm, I, I'm, I'm, it seems like it we'll see. I'm sure he'll it's, go it, see it. It seems like I'm, I'm, it seems like he's not going to go see it, but uh, but we'll see. But I mean, regardless, I, I will go see it with my father because I saw Force Awakens and and uh, the Last Jedi with him. So you know, I'll, I'll show him this one too. Same sort of thing you said with your mom. So um, yeah, you want to just dive into the trailer? No, ready, ready. Yeah, uh, we are on the Star Wars YouTube channel. Uh, it is Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker final trailer, and we are starting at the zero mark. And we will press play right now. It's an instinct. together 
America will fight if we lead them. People keep telling me they know me. No one does. Betcha. All right. You better go first because you tend to be. Just in case this is one of those exi- moments where you're less passionate, and I will be rambling probably p- for, potentially for a while, just for you to say, "I really don't have much to say or add." But <laughs> and then you talk for five seconds, literally have nothing much, and then we move on. So just in case this is it probably won't be, but just in case this is one of those times, let you let you start for. <laughs> so I don't. I don't know why, and I only really saw it like once or twice when it first came out. I'm, I still seem to be a little bit more excited for Mandalorian based on trailers than this particular film. Um, I, I don't know why. I couldn't tell you why. I don't have any particular attachment to Boba Fett or the Mandalorian stuff or any of that. I don't, I, I have no idea why. Um, it's just, you know, going based off of a gut reaction and, and excitement following watching the trailer. I will say this is my favorite trailer uh, or content that we've gotten uh, related to Rise of the Skywalker. Limited which, though it is, because <laughs> we yeah, haven't had right. much. <laughs> right. Um, which is odd to me. I yes. mean, that seems to be a trend lately that, that you know, it takes to the very final trailer for them to give me something. And I'm not talking just about Star Wars, but most any movie lately, it seems like the final trailer is like, you're finally like, oh, okay, here we go. And I don't know if that's partly because, okay, we're almost there. You know, it's only so far away now as opposed to this movie comes out a year from now. Um, but I, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. I liked the different worlds. Uh, visually, I thought it was pretty cool. I don't know. Was that like an iceberg floating in space? Or yeah, like, I don't it's know. supposed to be like an ice planet. Or, I mean, it could be – It could be a, theoretically, I guess it could be a huge asteroid or something because asteroids are often encased in ice. I think that's where Palpatine's supposed to be. That's from what I've – from the scuttlebutt, I think that is supposed to be the – that could be the Palpatine hangout, um, which would okay. make sense. Yeah. But the Star Destroyer seemingly rising through the ice, that would kind of back that up. 
Yeah, that seemed really cool. Uh, just so visually, there's lots of cool stuff. Obviously, uh, I, well, not obviously. For me, one of the more interesting, uh, you know, bits of dialogue was what C3PO said. Um, which so, is actually, you know, what, which is actually the only dialogue. I mean, you're actually looking at a real dialogue exchange between characters. That is the only dialogue. I mean, the Kylo Ray stuff might actually be in the movie as real dialogue between the two of them, but it's not. But the way it's framed in the trailer isn't framed as a real conversation because it's intercut. So it is. I'm going to talk about that too. But yes, the the three PO dialogue stuff is. Go ahead. Yeah, it, it seems interesting to me. Obviously, you know, I, I it it almost seems like bold move. Uh, you know, if it truly means what the you know what its surface level seems like, it means that three PO is going to do something that's going to short him out or make him unrecoverable or whatever. Um, you know, because a lot of people kind of. Uh, assumed or surmised whatever that you know the 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 old uh, cast and 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 crew may may age and die and we'll get these new individuals but droids could technically theoretically live on forever and and just always be our sort of one one of our main touch points to the rest of the star star wars universe and franchise uh but maybe that's not the case we're we may be losing 3po who knows or maybe it's a it's a it's a jump cut fake, and you know it, it, we end up losing R two instead. Either way, it, it doesn't seem good. Um, but I mean, that seemed interesting. Like I said, a lot of what I liked was the visuals, um, the group of rebel, the the, the fleet of rebel ships uh, all behind the Falcon. That was cool. Um, the the star destroyer rising through the ice or the, the ground or whatever that was. That was interesting as well. Um, a Palpatine, or we believe it's Palpatine at least, floating on the chair. Um, the idea that uh, uh, Ray and uh, and Kylo are fighting side by side here, despite the events of uh, Last Jedi, um, maybe it's more of a necessity than anything. Who knows? Um, or maybe she's giving him a second second chance. I, I don't know. Um, but I mean, there's 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 obviously lots of stuff to unpack and discuss here. But nothing in particular for me, you know, and I don't have to explain it anymore. Everybody who listens to the show knows I'm a Star Wars fan, but I'm not like I'm not like you or, or Ryan Daly or, or anybody else who really, you know, soaks up a lot of this universe and, and is, has a really rabid fandom for it. But I am a fan of it. It's just nothing in particular in this uh, other than, like I said, the visuals and, and, and the things I've already mentioned really just kind of reached out and grabbed me. Of course, you kind of get the, the kind of uh, childlike fandom that happens when, when the star Wars theme swells and anything. So that was, that was still there here, of course, but other, other than that, it, uh, it, it, it didn't, it didn't really, there wasn't anything about this that I went, Oh shit, or wow, or anything like that. It just, that was really enjoyable. I look forward to seeing this film, sort of a thing. Speaking of Ryan, uh, I took, of course, once this came on last night, shortly thereafter, I, uh, I talked to Ryan, and I, I, he won't mind me, I'm sure, paraphrasing or mostly verbatim what he said, which is, which is kind of funny, but it's true, and I agree with it. It's like, his first, the first thing he said to me was, there wasn't anything in that I hated, <laughs> but there also wasn't anything in it that goes, oh, my God, I want to have to go out and see this like right now. And I think that is a general assessment is completely accurate about this. 
And let's before we I, we go into some specifics in this in this trailer, let's you and I wander back you know to go a long time ago on a podcast far far away when you and I first talked about what when the time came that the trailers for this move for this movie came out, how important it was, especially for the teaser trailer. But how important it was that this trailer hit a home run when it first came out because of where the Star Wars fandom was, because of where the franchise and the brand was, that this – when they actually gave us something to see, it needed to be a home run. They needed to hit the ground running and not – and this wasn't a slow crescendo where you could build up to it, kind of where Force Awakens had the benefit of there was a huge wave of interest and nostalgia and, that, and plus you had no idea what you were going to see because it was the first movie of a new trilogy. People were all giddy and optimistic about what was going to happen. The idea that the, – the misguided belief you were going to see Han, Luke, and Leia all together on screen together alive, uh, things like that. They, they, so they could give you a relatively small teaser trailer just to pump you up and then give you – you know and, and bring and do more of it later on. They couldn't do that with this. They needed to hit the ground running. And as we know, because we, you know, we saw the, and they did a very nice job in presenting the teaser trailer with Star Wars Celebration. They were smart to, to stream it live, and not play the game or oh, only the people in the room can see it. And eventually, we'll like a few hours later or whatever, we'll release it on online. They streamed it live, but that trailer was not a home run. That trailer was okay. Like all Star Wars trailers are going to be visually interesting because they're Star Wars tr- movies. If you can't have, if you can't make a Star Wars movie visually interesting, then you failed Star Wars 101. It has to look cool, and the special effects have to be good. I mean, that's not that, that's not overly challenging to do. But that trailer, it, instead of a home run, it might have been like a Grand Rules double. You know, if you were down by one run, bottom of the ninth, two outs, a home run is what you needed. But a double doesn't end the game. Doesn't screw you. You don't strike out, but now you kick the can down the road for the next chance. Somebody's still got to come through. It succeeded because of again the same what it played off the same basic beats in a way of, of, of Force Awakens. It, it's it's the nostalgia. The things that people really liked in that trailer were the voiceover by Luke, the, the cameo by Lando, and Palpatine's laughter, which was also capped off. By, at Star Wars Celebration by having Ian McDermott come out, you know, and everybody was all giddy once they realized it was him, and, and, then, and then he stopped and he goes, roll it again. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was cool, but the, what we actually saw on screen was not anything overly, overly special. It was a teaser trailer. You weren't supposed to get a lot of plot, but it didn't hit a home run. But what it was, what it needed to do was try to bring people back who were, who felt unenthused, kind of deflated. It wasn't going to win them over, but it had to open the door where, you know what? I'm intrigued. It's like, okay. So it wasn't going to be full on Godfather 3, just when I thought it was out, they pulled me back in. But it was going to be where at least the possibility of being pulled back in was there. And I don't think that trailer did it. In my opinion, if you got, if you say you got hooked, pulled back in by that teaser trailer, my na- my natural opinion is you really were never that out to begin with. You were just, you really wanted to always be in, and you were looking for any excuse to come back. Because that trailer was okay, it was okay, but it was a teaser trailer. Had an opportunity, they didn't succeed. Then we don't get anything for like five or six months, and the D twenty three thing was not a trailer, even though for some reason I don't know why they did re- they did release it in the theater. 
because I saw it on Joker, which boggled my mind that this uh, I couldn't believe I actually was seeing it on the screen. It's like of all at that time too. It's like you know you're releasing a real trailer like in two weeks, so why are you finally releasing this when it's not? But either way, the D23 stuff was like 75, 80 percent all stuff from episodes one through eight. With only that stuff about Ray we talked about and the Star Destroyers and everything else. So now you get to this trailer, which at least is being framed as the final trailer, which indicates that if you're keeping their word, we're not going to see another full trailer before this movie comes out in less than two months. So this trailer essentially does exactly or doesn't do exactly what the first trailer did. It doesn't hit a home run. It tells you absolutely nothing about the basic real ins and in and out plot of this movie besides the the bare basics. Oh, there's going to be a fight between the good guys and the bad guys, which we kind of knew anyway. They don't show you Palpatine, only over the shoulder. They don't show you Luke. They don't they, – so they, they, they give you no inkling of what the plot really is. They just give you cool little snippets and little visuals all spliced together, and you don't really know. Like the stuff with Ray, I think the stuff with Ray and Kylo fighting together, I think that's one of those shared force, force visions they're supposed to have. I think that's like – I think that's either like the helmet of Vader or like it's supposed to be a representation of Vader that they're both destroying. Because to me, it looks like it's on Bespin. If you slow it down and you look at how white, bright it is in the back with the stuff on the wall, and I think there may be some windows too. It looks like it's actually the clean part of Bespin, even though Ryan said it also could be the Tantive Four, the blockade runner, which it could be. But I think if you look at it and you slow it down, to me, it still looks a little bit more like it could be one of those Force visions, whether on together, Ray and uh, Kylo are on, Bes- or on Bespin together. Uh but either way, I, we see so much snippets, and the only real, the really only thing about the plot you get is the stuff you mentioned. It's about three PO, which is again, the, it's an oddity that if you look at really both of these trailers so far, all the snippet, all including the the, the sizzle reel from D twenty three, you don't really have any any exchanges between characters in real conversation other than this three PO Poe Dameron thing. So the only thing we get from that is, yeah, 3PO is going to be making some sacrifice, uh, whether he's dying, whether he's, you know, whether he's getting mind wiped, whether something's happened, we don't know. Now, a lot of people probably have a suspicion because, which I also find fascinating, and maybe this has to do with the state of the Star Wars franchise too, that there are so many more spoilers and leaks about this movie available, especially at this time, considering we certainly, we're still approximately two months away within a couple of days a little less, of this movie coming out. And yet, really, if you wanted to, you can go out there and find spoilers, which will tell you supposedly, and of course they're doing reshoots now, so some of it might change anyway. But you could go out and find, theoretically, the entire plot and every event of this movie and what's supposed to happen in it. And that was not the way it was with Force Awakens or Last Jedi. Those spoilers were not heavily available until the movie was just about to come out. So it makes to me it just that just I find that fascinating just because it's it's because the people who are actually leaking it from Lucasfilm really don't care as much anymore because they're disgruntled either as employees or just with the direction of the franchise or is it is or somehow have the network you know the the network of uh, sources just been magnified so much in two years I just find it I just find it really interesting that in this movie supposedly. There's so, and that's one. Then that's one of the rumors, by the way, of why so little. Were, I mean, what speculation? I shouldn't say rumor. Speculation. Not that there's much of a difference. 
that maybe that's why we actually haven't didn't they, we actually didn't see much to give away the plot in this movie because every little snippet you release, people are going to slow down and say, "Oh, see that? That's from this thing supposedly in the in the in the in the leaks of the spoilers. That's what this scene is." So the more, uh, I it's to me this I don't I'm. Obviously, as I already said, I'm going to see this on opening. I was never not going to see it. I was never part, and this is what – I think the majority of people are going to see this movie. I don't think there was ever going to be a huge percentage of people that are disgruntled that will actually boycott this and never go see it. They may, not, may, they may only go see it once. They may say we're not going to go see it on opening weekend, but the majority of people will see it because they're Star Wars fans. I'm not saying there's not a percentage of people that are, that are legitimately not going to go, but – I I didn't never I never thought that at least there were so many people would stay away completely from it, but I think a lot of people were like, and you kind of said it too, even though you're not in as, as invested. My vibe on this is I am completely unenthused about this. I'm going to see this because it's the final Star Wars movie as we know it, the final episodic edition to this story as we have known it since it was created. They're going to have other Star Wars movies. There's not supposed to be proper episode numbers. Or even if they end up being somehow t- numbered, they're not going to be related to the Skywalker, the so-called Skywalker saga. So I was always going to go see it. Do I think J.J. Abrams is going to stick the landing in a satisfying way? No, but I don't necessarily think that's all his fault because he was he was handed a pretty shitty baton to have to run with. No matter how well you know, no matter, he was in best the best position to try to finish it because he began it. So he had to know in his mind's eye, and we've talked about the you know the rumors that he at least had synopses or treatments for episode eight and nine, and they just and Ryan Johnson pretty much hey hey give me this wipe wipe flush. But either way, he as a writer he created it, so he had to know in his mind's eye where he would have taken it given the opportunity. So he was in the best position to try to end it. But he got handed he got handed on one hand a shitty deck of cards because of the fact that so many characters were taken off the board and Leia, who technically as a character is, is on the board, Carrie Fisher's dead. So you can't really use her. That's one of the problems with what they did, I think, in Last Jedi. They should have changed it just because they knew Carrie Fisher was gone at that point. And Luke having Mark Hamill be al- having Mark Hamill alive meant keeping Luke alive was kind of important since you kind of had to you know they, they I think they should have just reworked it that way for multiple reasons not just cuz I think most people would have preferred to have Luke alive and not kill him in the way they did but just it just I think even plot wise it would have made more sense but just out of necessity I think they should have changed that but either way now you don't have Luke you don't have you don't have Leia you don't have Han regardless of how they're going all LM or world appear in this movie it doesn't really matter uh it's just you're going to have Palpatine back. You got to have a lot of. You got to have some backstory. How he's alive? Are we going to get explanation for Snoke? How is this going to tie in? You know, to uh, how they're going to reconcile what's going on in this movie, if at all, with the pro- with you know the prophecy related to Anakin. There's just so many things, and plus they have to give us a f- satisfactory f- finale, which makes us think, okay, this time we really won, as opposed to last Je- uh, Return of the Jedi when we thought we won. And that's going to be a hard sell, considering we know that well, the entire resistance consisted of like like 15 guys on the Millennium Falcon at the end of the last movie. <laughs> so it's going to be a hard sell. I mean, yes, if you have three fleets, that's the possibility. If you have the First Order, you have the the the, the resistance and Palpatine's fleet, then you could have a then you could have some teaming up going on, which might make a victory possible more than 
or just you know the, a war of attrition. But either way, I don't know. I just think that this. I don't. It's gonna be. It'd be a hard sell for anybody to be able to pull this off. You know, I, it concerns me a lot that they're not showing that. To me, it concerns me that they not haven't given you much about the plot because that still kind of reinforces the belief that they may, that they still really don't necessarily know 100% what they're doing with this movie yet. That either with reshoots or just second guessing themselves, that they don't really necessarily know exactly what the final version is going to be. Uh, that may not be the case. They may be just be doing it for secrecy and, like I said, to try to subvert. Or to try not to give affirmation to some of the leaks to say, oh, yes, yeah, see, you see the scene that absolutely matches up with something we heard in the leak. But either way, I I am not enthused. I am – the stuff with Ray, you know, I, and little little things are – you know, little things start bothering me about this. It's like, can Ray get a new outfit? <laughs> I know it's a Mickey Mouse thing, but not when you relate, look, go back and you look at the other two trilogies. I know she's a Force user as opposed to Le- – well, Leia technically had it but didn't use it. Uh, or, or deep down she had it. She didn't know that she had it. But between Padme and, and Leia, they changed outfits like it was going out of style. Could Padme at least have had one completely original outfit in episode 7, 8, 9 that didn't basically all look like the same outfit with maybe like a drib or drab different? I, I know it's a Mickey Mouse thing, but it's like using the same damn lightsaber. I know she puts it – you know, she put, seemingly has to put it back together, but – how about getting your own lightsaber? Even if it's got to be blue, if you're going to use the crystal, build your own friggin' hilt. I mean, that's kind of part of what being a Jedi is part of the skill set anyway. But in a way that, to me, that's just like some of the laziness it seems that's gone on with this trilogy because, oh, she's basically still reusing that same hand-me-down lightsaber. Uh, instead of, and even though, yeah, she technically would probably have to repair it on her own, or maybe not, or maybe Leia helps her repair it. But it's like, I mean, it's, it's just like. Those are like little things, and 3PO saying goodbye to his friends, like, unless he's talking to Chewie and R2, he doesn't really know any of these people, <laughs> technically. I mean, 3, 3PO spent what well, 3PO spent the entire Last Jedi on the ship with Leia, right? And then they were down, in, and then they were down on Crete. So she, so she, he didn't really interact at all with Rey. He didn't really interact with Finn all that much, and 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 not really much with Poe. Even in La- Force Awakens, they barely had any interaction with with any of them. So, uh, so and it looks like again, it's just by a snippet. It kind of gives you the vibe that maybe R two is getting shafted again because it's all got to be BB eight. BB eight's got to do everything R two used to do. Uh, and I like the three PO line because it plays on multiple levels because it's like talking to us. It's talking to the audience because of the fact that this is the, basically the last go around. This is the last time he's seeing us. Uh, so the the last time they, you know, we see these characters uh, as friends. The last time they're going to interact with us the same way. So I think it works on multiple levels. But as I kind of, but as I kind of joked, I think it was with Ryan when 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 three PO when three PO gives you the most heartfelt moment of the trailer, you might have a problem considering the kind of character. That, <laughs> considering people like three PO, I don't know if anybody loves three PO. He's pretty high. He's pretty low on the list of of characters people really really love. They kind of tolerate three PO because he's he's funny and in a way he's like the audience point of view on stuff. You know, being cynical and everything else. And but I don't know. I. It would be sad. I mean, obviously, anything that gets done to three P, anything that gets done to any of the classic characters, is going to suck. 
because we've already seen it happen to so many of them. So if something happens to to 3PO, even if he's physically still alive, but he's not the same character again, which technically has happened already because he got his mind wiped at the end of Revenge of the Sith. So technically the 3PO we've been, we've been dealing with from Episode 4 up till now is only the second variation on 3PO because <laughs> he was reset. But but if we lose 3PO, if we lose Lando, I think if, if we lose Chewie, people are going to shit. You know, if Chewie dies, but I think people are really going to go batshit crazy over it. Uh, I wish this, I wish this trailer had succeeded better or had done better. I think it, had, as somebody else said, it was kind of like a missed opportunity that there were. I think it was John Campy who said it was like a missed opportunity to put some stuff in the trailer, which either would have made people like really be pumped for this, and or just giving you a little bit more of the idea of what was going on plot-wise because the whole point of these trailers is to sell people on it. It's, it's a marketing it's a marketing tool. You're supposed to make people want to run out and go see this as soon as possible. Make it, oh my god, I have to see this. I don't think any footage we've gotten from this movie yet makes you think, oh, I have to go see this. Most people will go see it if you're a Star Wars fan. But if you were on the brink, if you're somebody who was really, really alienated – who is really disgruntled, let's say, with Last Jedi, or if you're a casual fan, it's not like it's it's not shaping up to be an event movie. Let's put it that way. It's not like what Endgame was. And part of the reason why Endgame made so much damn money opening when opening weekend is because Endgame crossed over into being an event movie and a must-see movie where it pulled in people that probably weren't huge or die-hard MCU fans because of how big it was. And of course, you had a lot of people going to see it multiple times, but it drew in, it had crossover appeal. It branched out. You know, when something becomes big culturally, it's like, oh, if people are really, that's a huge buzz. A lot of people want to go check it out. I don't think this movie is doing that. Now, now, if the, I was going to say if the reviews are good, but we obviously have to temper that because people, the reviews for Last Jedi were good, and we know that did, that didn't mean shit when it came to the overall audience reaction. If the fans really like, if the positive reaction from the fans is really good from like thurs- the Thursday night previews going into early Friday, then maybe that might that might you know make it more of a it could get a last minute surge that way. But I don't. I still find it very difficult to care much about the actual journey of these characters. I think I know we're supposed to get an explanation more for why Ray is who she is, which would at least give a start erasing some of the Mary Sue stuff about her, which is legitimate. I mean, she is clearly a Mary Sue based on the definition of that term. No one, I don't know how anyone could argue that she is because she can do shit just at the drop of a hat that nobody has ever done before with like no training. But if so, if we get an explanation for that, that kind of erases a little bit. But some people have kind of jokingly pointed out that line when she says, you know, people say they know me, but no one does. And people go, well, yeah, because there hasn't been a whole lot of character development to you either. But that's kind of like a joke. But that's, you know, so I don't know. I think it's hard to it's hard to have a lot invested in this. I thought it was interesting that we we didn't see Hux. We didn't see Hux in any other trailers, which I kind of find curious. Um I mean, not that he's not that people are going to lose sleep over it because he really is not a huge character, but he has had a relatively important role in episode seven and eight. So to not see him at all uh, now, maybe that could be because of what his role is going to be. But I don't know that, that those you know those are those were really my you know my initial thoughts on it. I I'm looking 
I want to see it. I'm hoping I'm wrong. Uh, like we talked about with Joker, there is a, a natural benefit to going in with very low enthusiasm <laughs> towards something because the odds of you being pleasantly surprised increased exponentially. But I would not. I I think if I had to bet money on this, I'm going to bet money that I will like it more than Last Jedi, but it's still not going to redeem this trilogy in my eyes and make me think, oh yeah, this was a good, this was a really cool journey that we went on through episodes seven through seven through nine, even regardless of eight. But said by the beginning and the ending made the journey worthwhile. I I'm going to suspect, like I said it last. Actually, when I said when we said about it two years ago, when we watched the Monday reviewed the Monday Night Football trailer for uh, Last Jedi, that I think I'm still going to end up feeling this is just not my trilogy. The way some people feel about the prequels, that this is I I doubt that's going to change. I doubt anything's. I could be wrong, and I hope I'm wrong, but I I still think this is going to be my third favorite trilogy of the Star Wars trilogies when all is said and done. Yeah, I can see that. Um. I was just trying to think on the stuff that you said. I know I rambled on a lot. That's why I'm I'm sorry. I should have I should have given some some pause. No, no, you're good. I mean, I, I I said all of my thoughts at the at the beginning of it anyway. So, uh, if you guys have uh, some reactions to either what myself or Mark said or or your thought, own thoughts on the trailer, definitely uh, you know listen to the to the show and write in and let us know. Uh, and uh, however suits you best, whether that be email, voicemail. Facebook, Twitter, whatever. Uh, but otherwise, I guess we'll just move on to Green Lantern. Sounds good? Sounds good. All right. Uh, so we are looking at Green Lantern number 23 from the Silver Age. Uh, and we're actually going to start with some feedback um, before we dive into this. And no, not listener feedback because we don't have any. Um, <laughs> you bastard. No, any kidding. And it out. No, actually don't. <laughs> Bleep it out. This is this is important feedback because it comes from you, the reader at home. And by you, the reader at home, I mean you, the reader at home, who's reading Green Lantern in the 60s when it came out. Because a while back, on April 5th of this year, uh, in episode 355, we covered Green Lantern number 20. Three issues before issue uh, number 23 that we're covering tonight. And if you know anything about comics, you know it usually takes roughly three issues or so for viewer mail or listener mail to show up printed in the next issue of the comic. So wouldn't you know, we're reviewing this comic tonight, and it just so happens to have the feedback from the reader at home back in the 60s as this was coming out about Green Lantern number 20. So I thought since we already covered that issue... We're familiar with that plot. We might as well read some of these letters, or all these letters, since it's only one page. Um, <laughs> so this is from Green Lantern's mail shoot, which is better than Green Lantern's other shoots. Uh, <laughs> Up the old <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, uh, and this is from Larry Brown, uh, and it says, Dear Editor, the April Green Lantern was great with a capital G. Parasite Planet Peril has topped every GL story to date. I don't care what anyone else says. It was even better than the, than the two previous Flash Green Lantern novels. And the Green Lantern Flash tales are stupendorific, my addition to the English language, and I hope you continue to feature them. The Brain Snashers of Macridion were the best idea for villains that you've come up with in a super long time. 
While your other supervillains are bent on getting rich with a gimmick, mirrors, mastery of sound, etc., the Microns... <laughs> <laughs> the microids are villainously engaged in picking people's brains. If that does, if that isn't the most evil, horrible, diabolical, ruthless, and yet wonderful for a story plot idea, then brother, I'd like to know what is. Another superb touch, which you added to Parasite, uh, that name fits the microids uh, to a T, Planet Peril, is the part where Flash and Green Lantern had to battle their mind-picking foes without using their superpowers. That was really neat. Oh, Flash and Green Lantern uh, certainly don't know uh, certainly know how to throw those punches. Even if they didn't have superpowers, they'd still gain recognition as prize fighters. And that's Larry Brown and the editor's response. You can bet your bottom twelve cents will continue to feature the stupendorific Green Lantern Flash yarns with the next one set for a future issue of the Flash. I, th- I think Larry Brown's real name might be Gil Kane. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying he's wrong. I'm just saying the way that's written, I don't know. Something about the way that's written makes you think, hmm, maybe somebody wrote that sitting in the DC office. <laughs> just news. saying, maybe. Oh, man. Uh, all right. So the next one from Cole, Black- uh, Cole Blackley. Oh, you still there? Yes. I, I just okay, adjusted, sorry. I, I, lo- I, I adjusted my headset because of the fact that sometimes, you know, I lose sound in one ear, one, one of my two ears in the headset, and it drives me up the friggin' wall. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Uh, so this is from Cole Blackley. Dear Editor, P- Parasite Planet Peril turned out to be one of the most thrilling, suspenseful, and praiseworthy stories to come forth from any comic. What did the tale have? Terrific ideas, that's what. First off, the following items caught my eye. Introducing the epic by means of a uh, introducing the epic by means of a new newscast, having Carol be a nurse, having both heroes and their girls stationed at a hospital, little everyday commonplace scenes such as the cafeteria panel, the idea of Flash wearing the power ring, the magnification bit, the kindness and presence of mind on the part of Iris and Carol while abiding in uh, Macridion, plus many other ingenious details. Say, who created this classic of a tale anyhow? John Broom, perhaps? If so, he should be dealt a a raise for that masterpiece. Also, whose fabulous illustrating might PPPs be? His concept of some of the machinery and of the varying characters was extremely well done. I especially dig the ingenious satchel GL put into action. The coloring is outstandingly devastating and beautiful and only contributes more to an already wonderful comic book. Editor note, believe us, dear reader, when we say we did not have to search high and low through our stack of mail to pick out such laudatory letters as the two above. Practically all of them lavishly praised Parasite Planet Perils story-wise, credit John Broom, and art-wise ditto for Gil Kane and Joe Gaella. But being veterans at this editorial game, we know full well we can't please all of the readers all of the time, so it came as no surprise when we heard from the inevitable dissatisfied customer as per the letter that follows. You bastard! <laughs> Dear dumb, ba- <laughs> Dear dumb bastards! <laughs> and Andy, Andy Wickstrom says, Dear Editor, the cover illustration for the April Green Lantern was exciting and colorful. Unfortunately, the story itself was quite a contrast. 
You'll probably receive so many rave letters about this issue and the teaming up of Green Lantern and Flash that my dissenting opinion will be uh, of small consequence. However, I can't let you put out such a poor issue and get away with it. Sign Alan, be- Alan Moore. No. <laughs> I'll begin my criticism with my biggest gripe, the declining artwork of Gil Kane and Joe Gaiella. <laughs> it's sad to see the, the, the depreciation of this once great team. As for the story, the basic plot is good, but it's not worthy of being a book lengther. It, it would have been very easy to, con- to condense it. Also, your feeble attempts at human emotions, page 8, were laughable or rather pitiful. I found corny lines sprinkled liberally through the story, a fault usually not evident in Green Lantern. In closing, let me say that this is uh, that this is meant as constructive criticism and not abuse. (laughs) Uh, Editor note to hit you with one of the corny lines you find fault with. What's one man's meat is another man's poison. Your reaction to the display of human emotions feeble doesn't jive with how the next reader felt about it. Well, fuck that next reader. That's that's what Andy says. <laughs> oh man, I mean, I I can agree. Like Gil Kane and Joe Gaiello, particularly Joe uh, Gil Kane, had like you know much much more work later on in their careers. And I can definitely say, yeah, Gil Kane's work did take a bit of a dive towards the end of his career. But you were insulting Gil Kane at the height of his career. Now, hindsight being twenty twenty. <laughs> so how, how like looking back on this comment does not age well because like my God, this is Gil Kane at the height of his powers on one of his most well known recognizable books. <laughs> Who is this Gil Kane Joker? He will never amount to anything. Please, please, drop him. Drop him now. Oh, God. And lastly, from Bruce, uh, I don't know. Bourgeois. B-O-U. Maybe it's Bourgeois. Yeah, Bourgeois. There we go. Uh, there's no editor. Nope. Short little letter. Dear editor, even though the subatomic world plot in Parasite Planet Peril has been used before, it was extremely well developed in your story. The pages where Green Lantern succumbs to the invisible sickness and Flash makes that promise to find and defeat the plague made comic book history. Made comic book history. It also made both Flash and Green Lantern seem human as well as men of great courage. And that's going to do it for Green Lantern shoot. I mean, mail shoot. Or as Andy says, stick it up, stick it up, Gil Kane's poop shoot. <laughs> uh, and Andy Wickstrom, we, you're, you're a legend. <laughs> Andy, if you're listening to the show, what do you think now? If you're still alive, if you if you if you're still alive, which which maybe he's just a very he's he's a very bitter but eloquent child who wrote who wrote this letter that uh. Did we, I'm sure they took it. I'm sure they took it with constructive, as constructive <laughs> criticism, and they were very glad to get heavier thoughts as they put your face up on the, on their on the, like the bulletin board. Office guard board. That yes. Oh man. So that is the uh, the letters page for uh, the uh, Green Lantern number twenty three. How do we have the letters page? Because those aren't usually reprinted in the uh, in the issues uh, in terms of uh, th- uh, trade paperbacks and omnibuy. Well, if you can hear, I've got the actual issue here in hand. This is the first Silver Age classic comic book I have ever purchased or had ever purchased. 
as well as the first by by happenstance as well the first classic green lantern issue i ever purchased is there significance to that no it just so happened to be a classic issue i found it at a great uh, at a good place in an unexpected place for the good price i recognized the tattooed man as a villain i picked it up um but uh, this is, I believe, the earliest issue of Green Lantern I actually have. I do have the first appearance of Black Hand, which comes a little bit later, um, as well as the first appearance of Evil Star and stuff. But those all come later. Uh, Green Lantern number 23 is the earliest issue I do believe I have in my collection. Um, so that's that's the reason we're reviewing it tonight, uh, not uh, not just as a as a follow up to our coverage of Green Lantern number 20. Um Mark, I know you have a pretty extensive collection. Do you have uh, a bunch of Silver Age issues too, like this? Do you have this issue, maybe? I don't have this issue. Uh, obviously, the but the I think the I'm pretty sure the Microid because I don't want to by luck of the draw I picked that issue. I'm pretty sure I, that that I'm trying to remember what the lowest issue of Green Lantern I actually have. I have to go back and double check. You and I went through a bunch of possibilities of based on the Silver Age issues that I physically had the copies of without having to go into like the you know the any of the, the trades or the collections uh, I have to go back and double check I th- I'm I think I have one yeah I, I'm pretty sure I have one before 20 because 20 was a micro issue right so it's got I think I have like I have one with Sinestro but it wasn't the first Sinestro it might have been the second Sinestro I have to go back and look, but yeah, I, I have I have a few. I have a bunch. I have a bunch. I think within the first several, anyway, like within the first uh, twenty-five issues or so of of Silver Age of Hal. So, all right. Well, let's start with the cover. Um, Looks featuring like John the Wayne or Jack, or Jack, or Jack Lemon, uh, featuring the threat of the tattooed man. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a pretty classic cover. I reference this quite a bit in terms of stiff poses, um, or odd faces. I, it, <laughs> yes. uh, it, or when people complain about seeing Hal's eyes, this is what I reference quite often. Um, because this is a very stiff looking pose, uh, on this cover. And his eyes are super wide, super shocked. There's really no detail to his, um, his teeth or anything. It's just a white space. Uh, his uh, forearms look massive uh, and very short and stubby. Uh, and, and just by the, by the way, this is drawn stiffly as well as the perspective, the fact that there's really a lack of shading um, here. I mean, that uh, tattooed man, I mean, for being what he is, he looks fine. It's just Hal in particular looks pretty stiff proportions slightly off odd in places things like that but there seems to be a lot of uh, de- attention to detail applied to the tattooed man for some reason guest artist billy tan from drawing hell short <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to open up with the interior uh cover image which is i what we usually call it the the, the secondary cover uh you'll see this a lot in uh Sil- in the silver age of comics um just another way to introduce the story. Hal says, my power ring is just as helpless against that flaming pinwheel as it is the rest of the tattooed man's weapons. Um, at the touch of a finger, the pitcher's tattooed on his body materialized into animated menacing weapons that just about made the tattooed man the deadliest villain Green Lantern had ever faced. For his mighty power ring had absolutely no effect on any of the ama- amazing images. Threat of the tattooed man. So I'm going to uh, obviously uh, 
you know, through exposition, through narrative dialogue, um, uh, and, and narrative boxes, through character dialogue, Silver Age issues can at times be wordy. This is no exception. So I'm going to go very, very surface level through this, um, and then through the next story as well. Uh, but we'll come back with any details that we want to go through. Uh, Carol shows up at the art center in uh, Coast City to uh, meet up with Green Lantern because he was apologetic that he couldn't uh, go out to the theater with her because he had another engagement. He was so apologetic, in fact, that she had to come over and tell him it was okay. <laughs> uh, so as she opens the studio door, she sees a beautiful woman painting and obviously gets all jealous. And she's painting a portrait of Hal, or rather Green Lantern. Um, and she gets very icy when she asks uh, the, the, that the response that to her request to buy said painting is denied because it already has an owner. Uh, then she jets on out of there. But as she jets on out of there, Hal tries to come out and explain things as Green Lantern. Uh, across the art center, we hear a security officer trying to uh, dissuade this sailor from taking a statue. He mag- uh, materializes a uh, pair of boxing gloves out of his arm. Uh, to take care of the security guard while Green Lantern comes rushing over, he materializes out a massive eagle. Um, the Green Lantern tries to put up a huge uh, uh, construct cage, but the eagle passes right through this uh, and starts fighting Green Lantern. The sailor uses another uh, uses the uh, boxing gloves again, and as he does so, the bird stops moving. And then after the tattooed man uh, makes his escape, um, the bird can resumes its action, uh, hammering uh, and uh, overwhelming uh, Hal uh, as Green Lantern carries him off and soars into the sky. Meanwhile, the tattooed man makes his escape with a pair of wings. We get his origin where he is in the process of robbing a payroll safe in the chemical laboratories of a great industrial concern. Uh, and, the alarm goes off. He drops some chemicals. Uh, he's uh, being uh, shot at by security and stuff like that. So what he does um, is he thinks he sees a bomb on the ground. He goes to pick it up. Oh, no, it's just something in the shape of the bomb on the ground. It's just like an ink blob. Uh, oh, wait, it suddenly materialized into a real bomb now that I concentrated on it. He lights it. He throws it. It doesn't go off. It doesn't go off. Then he concentrates a little harder, and it goes off. He makes his escape. He comes back the next day uh, as a uh, reporter to collect the chemicals. He does a little bit of studying on it. He realizes that using said chemicals, if he draws an image and concentrates on said image, it materializes. Um, And so this is a weird aspect of the story, but it's important. So here we go. I found that the age-old secret of mind over matter. Now I can fulfill my lifelong dream to own the great treasures of Baron Cranfield. Years ago, my folks worked for him. As a lad, I used to see those treasures and wish they were mine. I never dared hope to own them, but now, with these picture tattoos I've painted on me with those magic chemicals, I'm armed with the weapons to get them. Fortunately, they're all here in Coast City. It's a preponderance of uh, (laughs) deus ex machinus. Um, But anyways... 
back to the action. Uh, Hal is in the clutches of the Big Bird, uh, and uh, while his constructs don't work on the bird, he hopes that he can use them in a different way to free him of the bird, so he creates an anchor construct to rip him out of the talons of the bird. They go back to the um, art gallery, catch up with each other on what has happened. Carol, the artist, everybody, the security officer. Meanwhile, in the days that follow, the tattooed man makes off with all these various treasures and things. Um, Hal picks up on the idea that all of these things that were stolen were owned by Baron Cranfield. He finds the last remaining item that hasn't yet been stolen, uses his power ring to kind of, I don't know, put some sort of an, a warning alert aura around them. His ring will go off whenever they're being stolen. Um, he starts flashing. He goes to face down the tattooed man. The tattooed man um, sets forth a jet on him. The jet starts firing. He's dodging it. Then a pinwheel of flame comes at him. The jet stops moving as the pinwheel is flaming. Uh, and only one thing at a time happens. He sends a, um, uh, a, a uh, South American bolo tattoo at Hal, um, and everything else stops moving, so we're picking up on something. He then creates a big light bulb to blind Hal. Um, everything else stops moving, so Hal uses a construct to punch the tattooed man out in his face. He realizes he's been had. Uh, so he uh, he orders all his tattoos to vanish to keep his secret. I'll come back another day to turn the tables on Green Lantern. Uh, later, as they're taking in the tattooed man, he asks how uh, how he was able to avoid being blinded by the light. Back to black and And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Man, uh, because he met Manfred Mann, and that's the reason why. <laughs> Uh, Hal says, as soon as I saw the, you know, like any good hero, when the villain asked him how he was able to <laughs> overcome him, you willingly give the answer, I'm right? Glad you asked, peon. <laughs> uh, as soon as I saw the light, I ordered my power ring to turn my mask upside down so that it covered my eyes. The light could not penetrate the material of the mask. I merely pretended to be blinded by it. Uh, and then, uh, later at the art gallery, it's revealed that the painting was actually commissioned as a gift for Carol. That's why she couldn't buy it. Um, what a wonderful surprise. And for the next 30 minutes, Hal Jordan's closest rival for Carol's affections, his Green Lantern alter ego commands her sole attention. And Hal thinks to himself, I finally get a date with Carol and all she has eyes for is Green Lantern. Just the way most Silver Age issues with Carol in it end. <laughs> if only. <laughs> wow, isn't it weird? My biggest rival is myself. If only I could tell her. <laughs> uh, and that is the first of two stories in this issue as it is uh, in Silver Age uh, 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 comics. Uh, what did you think of the threat of the tattooed man? Eh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was a bit... <laughs> It wasn't bad. It wasn't my favorite Silver Age issue that we've done. Uh, Tattooed Man is still kind of a lame villain, even though they, they try to – at least – it's hard to say they give him a plausible exp- explanation because it is the Silver Age after all. <laughs> but as far as explanations go, it's it's not so horrible. Uh, I, it, was, it was 
early on it was getting a little when they were laying on the sailor jargon they were laying it on a little too thick in the beginning <laughs> Mm-hmm. When you when you ha- when you have to have the asterisk and translate his talk because oh arr, he's a sailor <laughs> it's like come on uh, but luckily they stopped doing that like after the first like few pages it was it was okay it was it, it's I do like the fact that they gave Hal a little bit of a brain from the perspective that he had to he had to use his deductive reasoning to figure out uh, how, how to really resolve this issue. So you would think he also could have just used his ring to pick up something, to to, to grab something solid and, and smack the tattooed man with it too, or, or to fight the constructs that way, or the tattoos that way too. Uh, but it is what it is. It was it was enjoyable. Um, I think I like the second story a tad better than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was just interesting. So th- th- why don't the tattooed man's um, magical illustrations, whatever you want to call them. Why don't they, uh, why doesn't Hal's constructs work on them? The only possible reason to explain why my power ring was helpless against his tattoos is that they contained yellow chemicals, which were overshadowed by other darker chemicals. So that it's one thing when something's outright yellow, it's weird. Like it had yellow in it. (laughs) Therefore I could not touch it. (laughs) You know, I, I couldn't do anything against that green shield of his because, you know, if you break down green, there's yellow mixed with the blue. It's like, it's like, no, no. That's not how this works. That's, That's not, not how, how any of it works. works. Uh, yeah, I, they, they tried. It, it was, pu- it was pushing it. Yes, it, it, it kind of was pushing it, but, but they tried. They took a shot. They took a shot. Uh, and Carol, man, God, <laughs> like, how many red flags do you need, Hal? <laughs> Jesus Christ. She gets so... First of all, the fact that you apologized you couldn't make it somewhere, and she decided to show up to where you were <laughs> to check in... And cries! And cries! <laughs> and cries because she finds you with another woman. It's not like you're like between this woman's legs face right. first. You're... He's, you're, he's not you're posing. Okay. You're clearly posing for a painting in a freaking public art gallery. Yeah. He, he, he's, he's not just there with his mask on and that's it. <laughs> Make sure you capture my good side. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Carol. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's insane. Uh, I, I do like the fact that we will never escape boxing gloves, apparently, in Green Lantern stories. No, every, every, everybody loves boxing gloves. Um, I just thought it was weird that we have this super heavily accented, and not that you know accented people can't be smart or whatever, but like this heavily accented thief, common criminal. Um, he's an art and, lover. <laughs> but, but he's he's not only an art lover. He he goes back to the scene of the crime, poses as a reporter gathers up the chemicals and then alone in his boarding house room by trial and error, the sailor unraveled the strange secret he had stumbled onto. (laughs) He says with these sponges, I will sop up enough chemicals for me to study. He's doing studies, scientific studies, (laughs) process of elimination, testing a hypothesis. (laughs) Look at the size of that jar too. That's a lot of damn sponges. 
<laughs> My God. <laughs> uh, He's so like Peter Parker, merchant sailor. Evidently, the tattooed man has quite a bit of uh, smarts going on for him. So there's that. Um, but I guess we'll come back to the ads at the end of the comic. Yeah, so it's like, I, I, I wanted to go to college, but my father made me join the Navy. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'll show him. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the ads because uh, there's always class. That is part of the fun stuff. Yeah, we'll come back to those in a minute. Uh, on to the next story. Sure. All right, speaking of yellow impurities, the Green Lantern disasters. Uh <laughs> Uh, a gang of criminal uh, a gang of criminals boldly commits a series of robberies in the presence of Green Lantern, who refuses to move a finger to stop them. If it's hard for you to believe such a thing could be happening on Earth, you're right. The crime wave is taking place on Zaus, a planet inhabited by intelligent insects, and the Green Lantern is Zax, a grasshopper-like emerald crusader. How Earth's Green Lantern becomes involved in this critical situation is thrillingly revealed in the Green Lantern disasters. And we see Hal Jordan trying to slingshot away a big fireball and thinking to himself, I'll save this world of insects from the deadly fireball by propelling it into space with this slingshot. As Zax flies up saying, no, no, Green Lantern of Earth, you mustn't interfere with that atomic fireball or you'll turn my world over to a gang of criminals. All right, another uh, quick uh, sort of uh, surface-level recap. Hal is charging his power battery one day when he gets a familiar sensation and tingling, which means his energy duplicate has been transported across the universe to the planet Oa, where he stands in front of the Guardians of the Universe to be given a mission. This particular mission is that Zax has not reported in and or used his power ring from his planet, uh, despite the, the idea that he was on a mission previously, the Guardians are concerned by this. But uh, you power battery possessors are a proud group, confident of solving your own difficulties and problems. So be diplomatic with your investigation. Do not make Zax feel he is necessarily under suspicion of neglect of duty. This all takes place as Hal's real self, his body self is finishing the power battery oath and charging process. He continues on to his own, um, his own uh, mission and assigned task to uh, give heat and power to a faltering sun, enabling it to the life around it to grow and thrive. He does so as he's doing. So he remembers this uh, uh, conversation, his energy duplicate had with the guardians and goes to complete that mission as he arrives he sees a fireball going off, and this is where we get a bit of backstory to catch up on where Zax is at this process. Right before Zax, a uh, Green Lantern enters, uh, Hal Jordan enters the atmosphere of Zax's planet. Zax is facing down Zork uh, and his band of evildoers, who are clad in a yellow co- in yellow costumes. Basically saying, don't use your power ring or you'll trigger a terrible disaster on this world. And he says, I managed by hard detective work to locate your hidden nuclear bomb triggered to go off the instant I used my power device. But I set special science devices (laughs) about the bomb to focus its power into a fallout fireball. 
Yes, in all in your all yellow uniforms, you and your gang of wasps are protected from my power as Green Lantern. But the fireball that will form when I use my device will be directed to you and knock you all unconscious. Your criminal career is just about over. So it, it automatically suddenly goes off. It's axe is like, I didn't do it, but it makes no difference. Who or what set it off when the fireball lands will knock you all out. I'll protect myself and my power device, remove your uniforms, and imprison you. Suddenly, a massive construct of a slingshot shows up, and suddenly the two meet. There's a bit of a construct battle going off here. Um, as uh, Zax tries to use some scissors to cut the slingshot, and Hal uses uh, a magnet uh, to remove the scissors from the situation. He says, I know what I'm doing. If I hadn't caught that fallout fireball, it would have caused great damage on your world. He's like, you don't know what you're doing. He brings them all up to speed. Evidently, Zorks uh, and his uh, and his band of misfits have been trying to steal sugar. Evidently, on Zax's planet, all water is poisonous. And to purify it, we dissolve crystals of yellow sugar in it to make it drinkable. So... Obviously, since water is important for all life, the purification process by which you turn poisonous water, the only water available, into drinkable water is very, very valuable on this planet. And what, at one point when uh, facing down Zax after stealing some of this yellow sugar, Zax takes him out, all except for Zorks, who uh, was hidden behind some yellow flower petals, so he kind of puts two and two together. So on his next kind of outing, he has him and his crew in uh, outfits made of these yellow petals and flowers. And his hypothesis is correct. And he can't be him and his gang can't be fought. So then they start rigging up these nuclear bombs to go off anytime. Uh, anytime Zax is detected of, of, of using his power ring. This obviously makes, uh, you know, Zax's attention be drawn to the effects of the fallout as opposed to the enterprise of some random gang of people. So effectively, this uh, Zorks has been ruling the planet, essentially. Uh, not ruling, not yet, at least. Um, uh, but it's been unstoppable. And Hal just mucked it up. So sitting on Hal's shoulder, he tells him all of this. Hal gives an idea tells him they both charge up their rings using Zax's tiny little power battery. Um, and Zax goes off planet in the ship. Zork shows up to the, um, to the last sugar storehouse left that Hal is guarding. They take all the sugar and leave. Hal just stands there. Um, and uh, Zax is off planet using his power ring on his native solar system's sun. So he goes back down to Earth. Uh, Hal uses his power ring to stop the um, the nuclear blast that is triggered when Zax enters the atmosphere. Basically, what Zax has done, given uh, Hal Jordan's idea, is heated up his sun. Uh, and because earlier Zax had explained that his planet only has one season, autumn. Um, so heating up the sun turns it into summer, which triggers some plant effect, and the suits that are made of these yellow flower petals turn green. Uh, and therefore, he, Zax is able to stop them. The sugar is saved. 
Uh, it's fantastic. Hal on his way out turns the sun back down to a relative uh, relative temperature. How did Hal have this idea, you ask? Well, on Earth, leaves change color in the autumn, from green to, or to red or yellow, because the chlorophyll that gives leaves their green appearance in the summer fades out. Then the leaves yellow, color coloring matter xanthophyll takes over since all leaves contain both chlorophyll and xanthophyll i simply reverse the process here on zaos to allow the green chlorophyll to replace the yellow xanthophyll thus the wasp gang's costumes turned green and made them vulnerable <laughs> as opposed to you know just stepping on them <laughs> or crushing uh, them under some rocks <laughs> construct fleiswater that's right uh, <laughs> oh man um <laughs> or <laughs> you know fly back to earth <laughs> can a raid <laughs> yeah get a nice raid commercial product placement in here the wasps on Z- <laughs> well the wasps we go raid <laughs> and blow up <laughs> kills bugs dead <laughs> sorry Zax. oh god uh, you said you like this one better than uh, Tattooed Man. I assume because it's more about the space and the core and all that good stuff. I say that, but then once, you, once we go back and recap it, it makes me wonder whether that's really true. <laughs> it's like, it is kind of, it's, it is, there's a certain inherent stupidness to this story, but I think because it, you're, I think you're right. Because it has to deal with space, and you get to actually get to see another Green Lantern and and working in his world, and and <clears throat> just the fact that it, you get to see how it kind of screw up, which is nice <laughs> too. Uh, I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. It's just I think I like Hal's interaction with 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 Zach. That's the main reason I I I like it. I mean, there's just as many there's just as many holes, and and so why why. You know, the lanterns couldn't figure out a way to just like use use their constructs to pick up something solid to drop it on the yellow stuff. And this, just like with the tattooed man, <clears throat> it's like I, I don't know, but it, it was okay. <laughs> I enjoyed it. I thought it was cool. Um, I'm I've said a lot of times I'm not a big fan of uh, of panels with blank backgrounds. There's a lot of that, not just in this story, but in this issue, but that's also pretty, um, pretty common in the silver age. Uh, just overall, it's something every, it's not like one artist does it or one artist gets lazy. It's just something that, you know, comics were a huge business. Uh, so you got to crank them out and crank them out fast. And I guess putting a lot of detail work into the backgrounds, isn't necessarily something that was done back then. So that's, not something I can fault the issue for, given the times that it was uh, made in. But there was a lot of uh, cool detail and and placed in this that they, you know, they made sure you realize that this is not just an insect world. So uh, by putting insects in it, but also putting lots of plant life, making sure to keep things to scale with how stuff like that uh, was pretty cool to see. So I did like a lot of that that sort of a thing. Um, yeah, I just, I just thought it was cool overall. I, I I still kind of like the idea of the whole energy duplicate being summoned to Oa thing um, for a mission update as opposed to be like being like, hey, fly to the center of the universe. We need to talk to you. <laughs> that is true. Yeah. So that was cool. Um, so some. Uh, so some ads, huh? Yes, they always have some cool ads. Uh, 
See, I have some classic artwork here for some of their for some of their toys. Uh, it's not quite the not quite the classic hundred toy soldiers in the Foot Locker. That that's not quite the artwork I remember though. It's I think it's the early stages of that. I never had the knight set. I think the knights actually predated. I think they were done with the knights at least. Uh, for, I think they had them in the seventies, but I just don't. Mean, but I didn't see them very very often because I obviously would have ordered. I would have ordered the knights. Uh, I never the complete space game. I don't think I've ever seen that one before. Dollar uh, ninety eight, man. <laughs> but that the two hundred and four Revolutionary War soldiers. That is the classic art. That thing, that art was featured for so long. I, that thing was way into the seventies because I, I still have some of these. I still have this set because uh, these were these were soft plastic. These weren't like the hard plastic that they made the Romans in and then switched to soft. These were just soft. So I I remember this this uh, I remember that artwork vividly. Even though of course the Union Jack is completely screwed up, but still. <laughs> but I just yeah this that they never really changed that artwork much. But I, I but it was. You know, it was a pretty good deal for dollar ninety eight. Look at all the stuff you get, all those dragoons and the the cannons and that was. You got some good bang for your buck back then. I like the ad actually for the hundred and four cars early on. That's right, because uh, you gravitated towards that a previous time, I believe. Yeah, but in this particular case, this one. Uh, so the publishing uh, copyright date on this. Uh, is for copyright 1963, which is interesting because if you look at this ad, the blue car in the center with the five on it, that is a Corvette. My favorite car of all time is a 1963 Corvette. I'm pretty sure that's a 63. From, from, from the front and the side, that looks like a 63 vet. The problem is telling for sure because the only way to 100% know for sure is is uh, if you can see the back because the uh, 63 vet was the only one that had the split window down the middle um, in in the rear in the rear window um, the 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 vets on either side of the 63 model year same body style but full back window so you can't really tell unless you see the back of this. But given the copyright date, uh, given that this is um, this is a this is labeled under a racing car, you'd probably want the most modern, up to date car. I'm pretty sure that we're looking at a '63 vet right there. Well, it is. Yeah, it definitely says under the racing cars a list of Corvette. If you zoom in on what it says. Oh, I don't even need to see that bit. That's very clearly a vet. No, I, 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 just based on what they're telling you that you the cars that you get your you get your 104 cars from the list. So, but they actually absolutely, but that's actually, but it's certainly I would say it supports no matter what the idea that that's exactly what they're ta- that that's exactly what they're offering because of the fact that it does fall under racing cars uh, under that racing cars column. It's under. Where they have the Mercedes from Germany and the Maserati from Italy and everything else that they have, uh, they say Corvette USA. Yeah, it doesn't tell you what they're made of. Uh, it says unbreakable and it says brilliant colors. You're right. It doesn't. It doesn't. I have a hard time. I mean, I know it's. I know it's cheap and it's for the time. I have a hard time believing they're, they're made of metal. Let's see. It's got to be plastic. I would assume it's plastic. Um, 
because it doesn't actually say you can race you can race them. Um, so what's what's interesting too is my second favorite car of all time may also be on here because under classic cars at least <laughs> lists a lot of things like a 1907 Rolls Royce, 1910 Ford, uh, 1934, 1932 Cadillac, 1932 Duesenberg. My second favorite car of all time is the 1932 Duesenberg SSJ. Um, and now obviously it doesn't specifically say SSJ, but, uh, a 19, the early 1930s Duesenberg is my second favorite car of all time. And there was only a handful of those left in the world. So no matter how rich I become, I'm in my, in my future, <laughs> I will never, ever own that car. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of cool cars in here, man. Yeah, there are, uh... The fact that they play up the fact that, oh, classic car show, you know, the classic car show this year, you want to save them for your collection, and yeah, I, I think it's probably, I mean, they do call them models, though, but I would, I'm still going to assume that they're plastic. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying, that's for what, a dollar, a dollar forty-nine, does it say about, this missile attack, does that make it clear it's plastic? Um Missile attack is cool. It is cool. I'm just trying to see if it. I'm trying to see if it distinguishes on any of these whether it's uh. Because these two have to be the same company, right? Well, I w- let's see. Uh, Rock. Well, a lot of these things went to Rockville Center. Um, most of these things, I think. Strathmore Tours. No, they may not necessarily have to be. P.O. Box. Yeah, well, they're going to the same P.O. Box. Yeah, missile attack. Um, all multicolor, unbreakable plastic. It says it right there next to missile attack. Oh, you're right to the right of it. Okay, so mm-hmm. considering, yeah. These, these, yeah, it has to be plastic. I would assume. Yeah, I would assume all of these are are plastic. Uh, yeah, but a 1963 vet, my favorite car of all time. I love that car. I, I get goosebumps every time I see one in real life. Um, Candy apple red with a nice uh, saddle tan interior would be my favorite if I were to pick one. Um, but anyways, yeah, uh, I feel like these the uh, 204 Revolutionary War soldiers, um, the um, toy soldiers, and the kings and knights. These are ads we've been seeing a lot already in the Silver Age. Uh, the blast off one though seems new to me. I don't think I remember seeing this in some of the other ones. No, there are a few. There are a few here that, yeah, blast off. Honestly, blast off. I don't remember ever seeing. Period. Uh, I do not remember ever seeing that. Even so, not only is that a little dated as far it being in this. Well, it would make sense because you're kind of in the beginning of the space race here. But I, I, it's something that I don't think. I don't think that carried over into the seventies. The but, but clearly, I'd say the toy soldiers in the Foot Locker, the Revolutionary War soldiers, and at least of the they, I think they carried over at least into the late 70s, may, maybe even into the early 80s. Because, like, like I think I mentioned, I, the the last set of Romans, which were which were always in the yellow and the purple, because they transitioned with the catapults, they transitioned from the hard breakable plastic. To the unbreak to the unbreakable plastic like the Revolutionary War soldiers, that they still had a night set though I th- it was it was different 
in the 70s. I never had that. Even though that's cool, that comes that also comes in a treasure chest case. So I never had a night set, and then and but the Chickamauga Civil War set, which I always regretted as a kid, because I think we tried to order it one time when I was very little, and it and I think and there was a I think that one might have been because there was a plastic short. I think there might have been a plastic shortage because I was that might have been still been technically I was really little, and technically the Vietnam War was still going on, so there may have actually been. The plastic there may have been a plastic shortage, and I think that might have been why some of these things were canceled. But I know we ordered that. That's just one of those things I always. It's like one of the, like the holy grail of those mail away soldier things from from the comic books that I, that I never got was the Civil War set because it had because you know, it had that breakable fort. I think the, either the, the either the blowable bridge or the breakable br- fort or whatever. So I always kind of wanted that, uh, and we did. I think I think missile attack we've. Was in another one. I think I've seen Missile Attack before, maybe in a Silver Age book, but I, I don't think that carried over <clears throat> into the seventies the same way. Um, I kind of like the Tootsie Roll ad. Yes. Try a tongue teaser. Can you repeat the phrase below five times in eight seconds without making a mistake? A green glass gas globe. And then it says, now buy a tongue pleaser. Delicious Tootsie Roll, America's favorite candy. That's clever. I like that. Like a, a lot of a lot of ads had like little puzzles and stuff in them, so that that was cool to kind of incorporate that into your to your advertisement. Yes, I thought that was just like the uh, the great masterpieces ad when they had the Pfeiffer from. Uh... Hmm. Dude, that's pushing Tootsie Roll fudge. An amazing invention, magic art reproducer. Draw any person in one minute. No lessons, no talent. I know, you I can, saw that. That was great. You can draw your family, friends, anything from real life like an artist, even if you can't draw a straight line. So how do you do this, you ask? You're essentially buying a projector <laughs> to project it on the wall and trace the image. <laughs> Send away for yours now. <laughs> And it's a full-page ad on the back of the cover. <laughs> Shock your friends with your non-talent. <clears throat> uh, I think that's about it, man. I didn't have anything else for this issue, did you? No, but Silver Age issues are fun. I'm glad we've been doing a bunch of them this year. Yeah, we'll definitely. Con- I definitely think we should continue. I think we should start throwing some Golden Age in there. We can do that. I'd like to do like the uh, first appearance of like Solomon Grundy. That's a big one. That is true. That is big. Um, and speaking of spooky stuff, should we tell them what's coming up next? Feel free, Chad. Feel free. All right. So there were two issues. Do you have the server in front of you? Because of everything that happened, I don't know yeah, the. Let me let me open it up and get I'll, and I'll tell and I'll and I'll grab the. So there were two issues that had Green Lantern stories in them um, uh, in the in, in recent years, and they were spooky Halloween uh, sort of themed, uh, and we never ended up covering them. Now these are stories in an anthology book um, with other story, you know, scary stories related to other characters in the DC universe. So we're not going to be covering the entire issues, just the Green Lantern stories from these issues. So um, now I've, I've read obviously the full full issues of both of these. So if uh, you know, I'll be rereading and 
and uh, may mention one of the other stories here and there. But we're primarily, obviously, focusing on the Green Lantern stories. Uh, Mark, what are those two issues we have in the ser- in the server? The Secrets of Sinister House, number one. That one came out very recently, folks. So if you have uh, a local comic shop nearby, you can probably still pick this one up in stores. Secrets of Sinister House. And DC House of Horror, number one. DC House of Horror, number one, came out a couple of years ago. Um, so there is a Green Lantern story in there. I'm not sure if you'll be able to find it at your local comic shop unless they have back issues. But uh, take a look for both of those issues if you can find them uh Uh, digitally or hard copy if you want to follow along with us that will be our episode next week for our halloween uh uh, episode um halloween this year is is that thursday yes all right so i guess we'll record a little earlier um or at the very least release a little earlier uh and that will be the uh halloween episode but i mean hey if it comes out on november 1st i mean it's still close enough in my book (laughs) i'm sure we'll get it out before november 1st for sure uh, but it will. Uh, that will be our Halloween episode. I was hoping we would be able to wrap up and maybe talk about uh, deceased, but uh, yeah, it's a little much to ask us to read uh, an entire story arc. Um, and some issues uh, happened with my personal storage devices uh, recently, folks. Uh, this is, seems to be the age-old tune that I'd be I've been singing for the past couple of years every now and then. Um, so I. Uh, Fingers crossed that uh, I get a substantial enough bonus check at the end of the year at my job to pay off a bit of debt and then buy myself a little present, which would hopefully be a server. So I have a mass one all in one place, warranted <laughs> backup of every bit of digital data I own. So I don't lose information anymore. Um, so with that being said, um, we we should be put. There shouldn't really be any interruption in uh, in episodes, though the types of episodes you get may be slightly different, uh, just because of what we have access to currently. Um, I plan on getting at least a temporary replacement replacement server for one of my storage devices um, uh, by the middle of next month, uh, so that I can at least put some stuff somewhere that I can access it. Um, but uh yeah that's 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 temporary so we'll we'll see where our, where things end up more information than you probably needed but uh just just in case there's any interruption in your regularly scheduled broadcasting or choices of topics uh, that's probably why uh but we still have quite a few things that we're able to and can still cover the new issue of what the hell is it even called the Black Stars thing. When is oh, that? Oh come out? yeah, the, was it was it Green Lantern Black Stars or something like that? Or it sure as hell didn't come out this week. Is it supposed to come out? <gasps> I don't know if it's coming out next week. It might not come out to the first week in November. If it is, have we already had our skip month for that title? Well, no. But either way, the, the the far sector thing should be coming out soon. Oh yeah, that's true. We can talk that too. All right, sounds good, guys. Um. Uh, Mark, you want to tell people how they can reach us? Lanterncast.com. The email is lanterncast at gmail.com. The voicemail, chirp, 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 is 708lantern. <laughs> please, please leave us a voicemail. Corwin! I have to email him. Corwin, we need you. Uh, iTunes and Stitcher, whichever platform you listen to us on, please leave us a positive review. 
And last but not least, we are on uh, Twitter and Facebook, so which so you can locate us using hashtag GLCast on both of those. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week for some uh, Halloween hijinks. Good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs>